We are continuing our series called The Race, about the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're using this metaphor of the race of describing this Christian life that we all are entered into. Now I have to admit to you, I've never run a race as long as a marathon. And to be honest, I don't have any intention to. <laughs> Do I get an amen from some of you non-runners? Okay, yes. Sorry, Jeff. It's, uh, I know there's, there's lots of runners here. But I am not above, you know, sort of living vicariously through the accomplishments of others. You know, for instance, my son last, last fall, he ran a marathon and, and I brought a picture with me today of, uh, from this spring. And that's a picture of my daughter and we were at the Drake Relays half marathon. And there we are, uh, running the race. And there we are receiving the medal and you know, it was, it was a rainy day and she accomplished it. It's so funny, isn't it? How we as parents can sort of take on just immediately our kids' accomplishments and live vicariously through them. It's like I'm, you know, that's what, what, uh, we easily do. But I didn't train for one minute for that race. I didn't take one step in that race. Uh, Lydia did it all. And just like a sports fan, sometimes I think we can approach the Christian life almost vicariously. You know, like as a sports fan, I'm really up when my team does well. Or I'm really sad when my team does does poorly. But you know what? I didn't do a thing about it. I just watched. I just observed. Now the thing about Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount is He's inviting us to jump in to run this race and saying to us that the, the Christian life is not to be lived vicariously. It's not to be a second-hand experience. It's to be a first-hand experience. In other words, intended to be something you and I can jump into. We can experience. It's not for the super spiritual. It's not for that person down the road or the person next to you. It's for me. It's for all of us to jump into and to run. And Jesus is teaching us what it looks like to be engaged in this race we call the Christian life. And he wants us to join in with him and to train. So this morning I want to read from Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read this passage. Uh, it's, it's a little bit long, so I want you to bear with me a bit. But reading from Matthew 6, the first 18 verses. Let me just say this. Verse 1 is sort of a principle that sort of colors the whole rest of the, of the text, okay? Jesus says this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So that's sort of, he's laying out a principle about this race and how we are to jump in. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. 
But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now it's interesting. I'm convinced that Jesus wants us to jump in, to join in with him, to join in this sort of training experience. And in fact, he shows us and tells us that if we're going to jump in and learn how to run this race, this Christian life, how we do what we do and why we do what we do really truly matters. It matters to Jesus deeply. He wants us to have a first-hand experience. He wants us to join in. He wants us to be with Him in this journey. And so He shows us. He tells us. In fact, He sort of lays it out. I don't want you to be doing these acts of righteousness to be noticed by others. I want you to do it sort of to learn to be like me, to be with me. And so He talks about this idea of giving. He uses three sort of spiritual disciplines that three practices, if you will, that would have been very common in Jesus' day for those Jewish people. The first is giving to the needy or investing sort of in in the poor. The second one is prayer. And the third one is fasting. Now the interesting thing, he says, it's not like I don't want you to do it. He says, when you do it, here's how I want you to do it. And so I want to kind of look at this. And you you could literally pull out each of one of these sort of texts. You could look at what it means to give generously and give in secret and what all that, or what it means to pray and have a prayer life, or what it means to fast and what Jesus is talking about in in this text. You could literally spend a whole teaching on each one of those things. But today I don't I don't want to do that. I want to kind of look at the whole. And say, what are some observations from these three things that Jesus is talking about? And the first is this. First is that Jesus' training, if we are going to jump in with him in this Christian life, is it demands that we examine our motivation. In other words, we need to ask ourselves, why are we doing what we are doing? He says it this way. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. 
Or then he goes on in, in prayer, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for, when they, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on street corners, to be seen by others. Or when you fast, don't look somber. Truly I tell you, don't do it to be seen by others. It's interesting, isn't it? He asks us to look at, why are you doing what you're doing? Is it simply to be seen by others? Now some of you know my story. I grew up in a, in a very religious uh, family, a Christian family. I grew up in a religious community where there was lots of external pressure, I would say, to, to go to church. And in fact, my family, we went to church. I mean, when the lights were on, we were at church. We did the thing. We did the thing on Sunday. We did it Sunday night. We did it Wednesday. We did it whenever there was something going on at the church. We were there. And for the longest time, I thought, well, that's just what we do. But at some point, at some point, I had to own up to that for myself. My faith had to become mine. I can no longer live vicariously through the faith of my parents or my grandparents or my brother or my sister. It had to be mine. And when I finally understood that, I almost rejected all of that sort of experience that I had as a kid and thought, oh, that's just a bunch of legalism and a bunch of junk. But really, I don't think it was. But there was a moment in time where I had to switch and had to look, why am I doing what I'm doing Why am I doing this thing called the Christian life? What is this about? Is this to please my parents? Is this to please my spouse? Is this to please so-and-so? Or to be recognized by them? For the last several years, um, I have actually kind of had a practice. And about six months ago, I, I changed the practice. Um, I have a picture of, of uh, like a journal and a Bible and a coffee mug. And maybe you've seen this picture on like places like Facebook or Pinterest or something like that. You know, it's this perfect setting to have devotions and kind of announcing, yeah, I'm, I'm being with the Lord right now. You know, that's my status. And, you know, I, I actually had this practice for a number of years, actually. I would, I would do my daily Bible reading. And then I would take a verse or two from that and I would post it on my Facebook uh, posting. And then there's something that happened, you know, over time. And suddenly I started reading the Bible thinking about, oh, who's going to be reading the verse that I'm going to choose? And so I started thinking about that and, and thinking about, oh, does this make sense? Is it in context? Will people understand it if I post it? And then I started looking at who's actually noticing what I'm posting and checking out the likes on the Facebook posting. And and finally it dawned on me about six months ago, what in the world are you doing? I was more concerned about who is noticing my Bible reading than actually reading the Bible and letting God speak to me. And so I just stopped. I stopped posting Facebook posts of scripture reading. Now, I mean, other people can do that. That's fine. But you know what? It was turning into something that it was not intended to be. I was looking for the approval of others. And Jesus said, you need to know why you're doing what you're doing. 
Do you know why you're doing what you are doing? When you're giving, do you want to be recognized and honored by others? Or are you doing it in a way that it's secret? It's just flowing natural out of who you are. Or when you pray, do you want to be noticed by others? It's interesting. Jesus uses a very specific word. He said, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. You know that Jesus is the only person in the New Testament who uses that word. That word came out of the Greek culture. In fact, it, it, it came out of Greeks, the, the acting world. It's for Greek actors who used masks to portray characters. And so Jesus is in effect saying, don't play act in this faith life. Now what's so interesting to me, Jesus is the one who basically says, I can't stand sort of religious practices done for the glory of others. Now what is it that we often get accused of as Christians by the non-Christian world? Oh, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. (laughs) So Jesus is the one who can't stand that. That is fascinating to me. He says, you know what? You want to learn how to live this life? You want to jump into the race? Know why you're doing what you're doing. Why are you doing this? Who are you seeking approval of? Why? Here's the second observation I want us to think about this morning from these 18 sort of verses. If we are to jump in and join Jesus in this journey, this race, I think his training regimen involves keeping a secret life with him. Keeping a secret life with him. Now listen to what what the scriptures say. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And he says, again, in verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Interesting. When you fast, don't look somber, But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. In other words, do it in secret. What does it mean to do something in secret? We give in secret, we pray in secret, we fast in secret. In other words, we are to give a portion of our life to Jesus. And it's a portion of our life that's away from the crowds, away from the people, away from others, away from the approval of others, but it is with this private audience of one. And that's where Jesus says, begin to practice this race. Begin to practice what it means to follow me. Learn how to give in secret. So it becomes a natural sort of overflow of your life. Learn how to pray. In other words, don't be like the, the pagans, he says, you know, who talk loudly and use lots of words. In fact, learn how to pray as if I'm right next to you. Like a friend. 
Engage in a life, a secret life with me. I want to tell you something. I think this is the key to this passage. And it's a key to understanding the Christian life. When Jesus says, hey, I want you to be a light set on a hill, you know, standing brightly, I'm convinced that that the church today, in our world, we need to be a light set on a hill, which Jesus talks about in chapter 5. However, where does the power come for the light? Where does it come from? I think it comes from this secret place, this secret life that we're having with Jesus, away from the world, away from sort of others, in this moment where our thoughts and our sort of dreams and our personhood is laid out before Him in a private audience of one. Let me tell you, let me just tell you a personal sort of experience. I have stood here, not here, but in a place like this, serving, when I have come to this place empty, if you will, feeling like my spiritual life is sort of dry and burned out. I'm not even quite sure why. But then coming and trying to, to, to minister and serve it out of a sort of place of dryness or emptiness. Well, guess what? That's a very dangerous place to be. You know what it becomes? I become dependent upon then, sort of seeking the approval of others. Hey, how was that? Was my teaching, did it connect? Was it good? You know, and I'm looking for and listening for that sort of approval, if you will. And then there are other times, other times where I've come to this place of serving, in a sense, and saying, you know what? It doesn't really matter what people think. Because I am living in this place of fullness and my soul feels good. And my place in my, my spiritual life, I feel like I have something to give. I think Jesus is saying that if you want to run this race in the long, sort of for the long haul, learn how to be with me because it's there that you receive the power. It's there that you receive the energy. It's there that you're giving something to have overflow. That you learn how to live out of overflow. So what if, what if you and I were to have a secret life, if you will, and we were spending time with Jesus, learning how to give, learning how to pray, learning how to fast with Jesus? Would we, I think, I think we would, Would we be able to handle our family, our spouse, and our friends? We'd have something that we wouldn't necessarily need from them, all of this emotional energy and support and approval. Or would we have enough when we go into our workplace and it's a hard day and we're dealing with hard customers or we're dealing with employees that are crazy? Would we have something to give in those settings, if we came with the fullness of Jesus, could we live out of overflow? I think that's what Jesus wants. If we are to jump into this race with Him, we need to foster a secret life with Him. Go find a closet. Close the door. 
pray, speak to me as if I'm right there with you. Speak to me. I think when we come out of the closet and we've met with Jesus, there's certain God confidence that we're given. We know that this isn't about the approval of others. This is walking in a place where I am secure because I belong to Jesus. I belong to Him. Here's the third thing I want us to remember, or sort of observation. I think if we are to do those kinds of things, if we are to examine our motivation of why we do what we do, are we claiming and owning this, this journey with Jesus for ourselves? Is it a first-hand experience? Are we t- taking time to be with Him in this secret life, having a private audience? You know, the beautiful thing is when we make time for that, He meets with us. <laughs> he will do it. If we take the time, He's there. Every time. But here's the last thing. I think if we are engaged in that kind of thing, Jesus' training regimen redefines success. What is success? You know, my son, he's actually a part of a a strength and fitness program that our school is putting on. And let me tell you, it's pretty, pretty structured and it's amazing. Uh, Over the last year, he's, he's kind of bulked up and to be honest with you, I'm pretty convinced he could whoop me. Now, you didn't hear that, and if you say it, I'll deny it. But it is, something's going on for him, you know. It's like uh, his body's changing and transforming and because they sort of started out with a, a baseline and they had all these activities and all these exercises and then things that they needed to do, and then he has been committed to the process. And he sort of goes and he gets up early and he goes and lifts and he goes and trains and he goes, goes and does what the program is calling for. Now I would say this, I would caution you. Some of us could have the tendency of thinking that the Christian life is kind of like that. We do this list of tasks and we check it off the list and suddenly I'm going to be infused with this spiritual energy. I don't think it's like that. I think it's more like this. It's not about what we do, it's who we are with. So how are we fostering a relationship with Jesus? And what does relationship look like? It it takes time and energy and effort and, and things to be with. But it's not the same as doing this checklist of things and getting it and moving on with my day. It's not the same thing. In some ways, Jesus does not want us to make a performance out of our relationship with Him. This is not about a performance. This is about you being authentic before Him. It's about you spending time with Him, being with Him, taking the the opportunity to be with the One who calls you by name. Success, I'm convinced, is really faithfulness to this audience of One. Faithfulness to this audience of One. In fact... When we are faithful to this audience of one, we don't get to determine if we're successful or not. What we really learn to do is we submit ourselves to this one, this one who at the end of the day is the only one who can say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Well done. Os Guinness, who is, it's quite a name, isn't it? Os. He's a very smart man. But he writes about this, this idea. What does it mean to live this life? And I want to read just a couple of paragraphs. When all that we are and have and do becomes a response to God's call, we live, in Oswald Chambers' famous words, our utmost for His highest. Created to be who we are and called to be who God knows we can be, we each reach higher and farther as we rise to God's call. This is the Christian equivalent of the Greeks' pursuit of excellence, rising to be the very best that we can be. But our utmost for His highest is also the profoundest, the most sublime, and the worthiest ambition that ever stirred the human heart. A simple consequence follows. If we define all that we are before our great caller and live our lives before an audience, one audience, the audience of one, then we cannot define or decide our own achievements and our own success. It is not for us to say what we have accomplished. It is not for us to pronounce ourselves successful. It is not for us to spell out what our legacy has been. Indeed, it is not even for us to know. Only the caller can say, only the last day will tell. Only the final well done will show what we have really done. Are we willing to live for this audience of one in his presence for him? Or do we need to seek the approval of others? What does this look like? Let me just share a very practical image that Jesus gives a few pages down later in Matthew chapter 11. I want to just read those. He says this. Listen to the words. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you... Now, come to me, all who are weary. Now, if we do take this image of the race, let me tell you, I know what it means to be weary and burdened. I go out and run a block, and I am weary and burdened. I'm absolutely amazed at how hard it is every time I go. Some of you are weary and burdened from running this race, this life. Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Then he says something amazing. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's using an image of a couple of oxen, maybe one who's an older sort of mentor, and then a younger oxen. And he's saying, come be yoked to me. And together we will pull this burden called life. But guess what? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're in step with me, you're going to find rest. Now, if you choose to go in your own way, I'm sorry, the yoke, you're going to feel the full weight of the burden of whatever you're pulling. But if you align your life with me, walk in step with me, you're going to find rest. It will be a joy. It will be good. And you'll have something to give as you go through your life. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. 
God, thank you for this teaching, this teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, this this language about what it means to live life with you. Lord, it's so easy to seek the approval of others or to have mixed motives. And so I pray today that we our hearts would be pure. God, that we would enter into this relationship with you and we would desire to learn how to be people who are giving. We're learning how to be people who are praying to honor you. To bring glory to you, but also to find rest for our souls. Lord, I pray that for each of us here. Whatever burden we're bearing, I pray that we might come in a yoked relationship with you and we would find rest. God, give us the courage to do that, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.